0: Welcome along to Heart to Hartley. This is the second part of a three-part podcast series starring Brendan Hartley. Brought to you by Altherm Window Systems and hosted by me, Sam Wallace from Coast FM and Driven.co.nz. Today we delve into the world of Formula One with Brendan and I'm particularly excited about this podcast. This podcast is made possible by Altherm, and if you are about to renovate or build a new home, choose your windows and doors that are made by this company, Altherm. They're a New Zealand company. They make sure that it's specified New Zealand environments and are New Zealand-made and family-owned. So take your new build or renovation to the next level with Altherm. Hello, Brendan Harley. Hey, mate. So, Brendan, we're interested to hear how your home in New Zealand is influenced by your overseas adventures, which of course began with your call up to Formula One. Uh, Let's pick up where you left off, though. Uh, You told us all about your new home in Taupo, the perfect spot for when you're back in New Zealand. You've gone next level on this place. eh? I mean, I was looking at it. You've obviously made a huge focus on the view looking out over the lake. But there's also, I saw you doing a piece to cam on your, um, on your, on your Instagram the other day and you're walking through what looked like a loft and in the loft were some windows. And I thought that is, that is phenomenal. Was that a focus with the windows and and did, did that come from you? Where did that come from?
1: Yeah, no, no loft, but, um, we have, we have a, I think we call it a raked ceiling. So all through our living space, we have. It's all, it's all kind of connected. There's one room at the end where I said, we don't want a TV. We're putting a record player. I got these obnoxious speakers in there, which, yeah. which Sarah was really not on board with in the beginning, but she likes them now. Yeah. So even from that room, you have, we have the same, we have the same view, but we have these massive rake ceilings. So yeah, as you say, it kind of feels a bit like a, a bit like a loft, I guess, if, yeah. if you, if you, if you say with well, these really high, these really high ceilings, but I love sitting in that room. So I i've got kind of the the listening chair so a nice um it's actually a leather chair now so a leather chair you've got massive speakers in front of you record player behind look to the left you've got the view out towards taupo and right soon is going to be the outdoor barbecue area where you get the afternoon sun walking through to the living space again it's all the rake ceiling and and the big sliding windows which which open out we wanted to have that feel of being able to open up the space from from the dining to the um out to the the deck and and out to that view so I thought, okay, yeah, put massive sliding doors in that open up the whole thing. That's going to be easy. And then, ah, oh, no, there's actually a lot more to doing that than I thought. That's that's not a simple thing. It, it required, you know, all the steel framing and all the engineering that 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 goes with that. So that that was a whole learning process. And then right. the roof windows, and that was something I, I learned from staying in some other people's houses. then. actually just to get the just to get the air out, obviously getting some light into the kitchen. But I liked the idea of being able to have airflow through without. So there's no air conditioning in, in the um, in the living space, but I just found to be able to get some of the hot air out with the, the roof windows, not only to get the light in, but also to get the hot air out makes such a big difference. We've got awning windows of each end of the living space. So you can really get a lot of airflow through without having to open up all the all the windows. So again, it was it was function, but also also visually with, with the light. So
0: So how do those windows work? Is there, are they electric? Do you wind them? How do they open?
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to have to get up there and clean them. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, on, they're on a little electric. I um, think they've got blinds as well. But we, yeah, we we end up like we, we enjoy the lights. So uh, and sorry, we have one in the bedroom as well. Yep. Um, at, at the back of the bedroom again to let the air out. So that one does have a blind on, but it's all electric from a from a little uh, little console. We yep. we try to put most things that we can change from an app, So it's quite a. Um, we can we can we can set most things even from Europe. We we can, we can. I think one of the only things that we we can't play with is the the roof roof windows. But yeah, right. Most stuff we can control from from the other side of the world, which is quite nice. <laughs> um,
0: I've always had a keen eye for design. What what looks good on a car, you know, the right wheels, the right this, the right that. Do you think your motoring eye crosses over to that world of house design?
1: I I really liked. The clean forms. Our, our house has kind of been built as two wings. One's a living space, or well, actually three wings: garage, which as you said is important for all the mm-hmm. for all the toys. Yeah. Then it comes into another two wings. You know, all the living space, and, and then all the other space where the, the bedrooms are, and they're almost identical. So initially, when we were designing, that it wasn't until right at the end where we we actually squared everything up and made clean lines. And I know other people don't want anything clean lines, all all curves, and there's there's almost no contours or curves in in, in the whole build. So. I think it looks good. I liked a lot of the the forms of it and even just getting the angles of the roof. It, it, it was interesting going through that process, but I did have a bit of help from my buddy who's uh, I said he's an architect.
0: So you have this amazing holiday home in New Zealand and this exciting life overseas. Can we please talk about how you were brought into the world of Formula One?
1: I was signed as a Red Bull Formula One development driver at 15, so I think that was Gosh. end of 2005. Um, yeah, end of 2005. So left school friends family initially traveled over to portugal to do this young driver test i missed my end of year exam so i think it was fifth fifth form yeah um at the time it was a no-brainer but i look back now and think uh, my parents were borderline crazy to just let me hop on a plane like that um, and and go for it and, and then the next year living in germany so it really started all the way back then and that's it feels crazy to think that was that was half my lifetime ago um, that I that I left left New Zealand.
0: Business relationships are a huge part of racing. We see these young kids coming through, and they're so savvy about talking to to and about businesses and firming up relationships. How imperative is that to the success of New Zealand drivers coming through? That ability to create relationships, build brands, and move forward. I mean, here we are talking, you know, to you. Thanks to Altherm uh, Window Systems, is that something you've had to foster, or is it something that came naturally to you? Um,
1: yeah, I think as, as a New Zealander in any sport, we you know, we've, we've been very supported by, um, New Zealand businesses and from an early age, you know, I, I had support in New Zealand from, and, and there's yeah, so many racing drivers have similar stories and I think as New Zealanders, we're, we're really lucky.
0: Why do you think they scooped you up? What did they see in you that was so exceptional to, to pull a kid out of New Zealand, out of fifth form exams and put him on that stage? What made you different?
1: Um, timing was amazing. So I just completed the, the very first season of the Toyota racing series, which was yep. brand new to New Zealand and it actually put New Zealand's motorsport back in the headlines internationally. So there were international drivers coming over actually the year before that in Formula the Ford, there were some American drivers coming over. So little old New Zealand, the other side of the world um, was kind of on the international motorsport scene. So going into the first season of Toyota racing series, I won the very first race. As a, as a as a young fella, and at that time we were desperate for funding. You know, motorsport costs a lot of money. I had amazing backers in New Zealand. Uh, actually, Peter Johnson, who a lot of viewers may have heard of, uh, he's one of one of the the many that are pushing the WRC. He helps Scott Dixon. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Kenny Smith pushing behind me. A lot, a lot of New Zealand motorsport fans will will know, will know Kenny. I had him as a mentor. So I I had really amazing people around me. And on top of that, obviously my my parents, my dad, who's an engine builder. So it was a real family affair as a 15 year old. This was all very new. I was on my way over to Europe. I could barely locate Europe on the map, by the way. I mean, I, I was, was, so, <laughs> was, was, was was it a totally new world and yeah, that was it. The test, the test went well and they, they took me. So I, I, I guess to go back to your, your question, the, the timing was perfect. They were obviously looking for a young driver with a bit of experience. It was quite, um, I was very lucky in New Zealand. I could start racing cars at 12 years old. So I. Mm. I I was two or three years ahead of some of the other people from Europe who, who were still in go karting, so I had a bit of experience and I fit the bill. And at that time, there were twenty drivers in the Red Bull Young Driver Program, so I, I was I was one of twenty, and that, they were rotated through. You know, but I think my last year as a Red Bull Junior, which was probably 2008, as you knew, or maybe 2009, I think I was probably one of the only ones from that that twenty that was still there. You know, so there was a, there was a big rotation. It was it, it was cutthroat. So yeah, it started all the way back then.
0: Can you remember the moment where they, they pass you the keys to a Formula One car? And, and when you got in that car, once again, I'm living through you. I want to know what that was like when you're sitting in a Formula One car, and then how, how hard was it to adapt to that car?
1: Yes, I've been preparing for that all my life, but I was only 18, you know, so you yeah. know, I wasn't really that prepared. <laughs> um, first sensations going out the pits, so it was in Harev. I mean, the power compared to anything I'd driven before I, I'd come from something called formula three, which I mean, I don't know the percentage of power it had compared to a formula one car, but yeah. it was, you know, it was, it was like driving a lawnmower versus a, um, you know, the G I I said, you know, it was mm. the differences were so huge and everything initially felt like you're in warp speed. You know, th- th- those first laps, when you're doing, you do an install and you do it, normally do a radio check and you, they come in and check the car after. I just remember everything going past so quickly that you never thought your brain was going to speed up. You know, you were, you were, you were breaking for, for the hairpin, but your, your brain was kind of still back at the, the previous corner. Um, <laughs> but it's surprising how quickly your brain gets up to speed, you know, it, how quickly it adapts. There's, there's not many other things where, you, where you're having those kind of sustained forces going through. So it's totally new thing. And I definitely wasn't physically prepared at 18. Nice. No, no way. Like at the end of the day, I was just hanging on.
0: So yeah, right. And what what is it like in terms of understanding the capability of the car? Like this is aerodynamics that you've probably never experienced. And then you do you just keep trusting it? You just keep throwing it into the corner harder and harder and, and like when do you know where the outer limit is?
1: Um, so that that's the big part of being a racing driver. That that's a big part of our job and is feeling the limit of, of, of the car, the tires, as you say, the, the aero. Um so that is something I've done since I was six years old, driving a go-kart. You know, that, right. that's, that's some of the, that's the first fundamental thing that you're learning is how to sit as close to the limit of, of what the, the tires can do or, you know, the capabilities of the car without going over it or at least going over it too much. So that's, that's, that's experience that builds up in a lifetime. You know, okay. there's no one that can jump straight into an F1 car and actually get the tires warmed up without having years of experience. You know, that's mm. just the reality. I don't know. I'd lo- I think a lot of people that drive along the the motorway in Auckland or what you know in their in their fast car think, oh I can drive a car like but it, it requires a huge amount of experience to to be able to to drive such a car on the limit. So that that experience builds up over years. That being said, of course, jumping into a Formula One car at 18, you're you know, the sensors are all on, on overdrive. And as I mentioned, physically as well, you 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 become you actually become limited by by what you can actually hold on to f- physically.
0: So in two thousand and seventeen, uh, you make your Formula One debut for Toro Rosso. What was that like? How do you manage that pressure? Because you know that you've pretty much got a narrow window of opportunity. That must have been so daunting.
1: It was, yeah. I'm just trying to think back because a lot of it was such a blur. Um, how it all how it all came about. And yeah, I mean, any sports person will know managing pressure is 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 a big part of the job. Big part of the job. And yeah, that that first race in Austin. I guess I was a bit of an unknown in terms of I I'd been, I'd gone a completely other direction. I was, yeah. I was an endurance racing driver. I'd been shoehorned into the seat last minute, no testing, not really much preparation. So I guess for that first race, of course, the pressure was high. It, there was more to win than there was to lose in a way.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Because no one, no one was, no one was expecting me to go and 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 win the race. The the the, the you know in the first race that it, it was it was probably unachievable. But yeah, in a lot of ways it, it was it was a dream come true. It's something that I dreamt about since I was a little kid. And I don't know that sounds incredibly cliche, but that is that is the truth. You know, I, I was going around telling people at five or six years old that I was going to be an F one driver, which at the time was probably a ludicrous thing to say, and, and it seemed completely unachievable. But the end it happened. So that that was me fulfilling my dreams but then obviously it's not just a dream you know you've got to work hard you've got a huge team of people around you as you say you've got those those pressures that you're dealing with and yeah I mean your question was about how how I deal with them um I find ways music's one way um you you learn to embrace it I I know if there was no pressure no butterflies in my stomach there was probably something wrong because it probably meant I didn't care so I I find with the right amount of of kind of pressure and I don't know if you call it anxiety but that that nervous energy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it's a good thing as well because it makes you sharp.
0: Well, it makes some people sharp. It makes other people fall to their knees.
1: thats I think that's where it's the balance. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's such a political world. You can see that from uh, the Netflix show about Formula One. Do you look, and this is the big question, do you look at Formula One now and see the drivers and think, I'm faster than you. I could beat you.
1: I mean, there's, there's, there's many drivers in the world that could and have the talent to be a Formula One driver. I was one of the very few lucky enough to have the opportunity. So yes, there are, there are, there are guys there on my day I'll be able to to beat them in the same car, of course. It, you know, the, but I know many people that are not in Formula One that it's the same. Or you know, I I, I drive in endurance racing where there's six teammates. We all drive the same car. Sorry, three of us in the same car. And that, mm. and I know that on one day I might be the quickest in the car. On, on another day I might not be. You know, it, it's it's sport. You know, it, that that's part of it. In general, particularly at the front of the field, the drivers in Formula One does have to be there, and they're the best in, in the business. and And I, and I can also accept I, I didn't do quite a good enough job; it didn't quite work out, and you know I was only there for one year. It's it's a cutthroat world, you know. I, I gave my best my, my best shot. I wasn't lucky at times. Every single driver in Formula One is an incredible talent, and they've 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 built up that experience over over their whole lifetime, as I as I just explained that I I have done as well as you say, not everyone gets the opportunity. And and I, and I know plenty of other New Zealand drivers that if given the opportunity, they may have flourished, you know, like Mm. it's like that in a lot of other sports, but it's, it's in in motorsport with the funding um, that's required to get there. Yeah. I guess it does become more noticeable, that there's maybe many that deserved and didn't, but, I took the opportunity i was in the right place at the right time and and i was very lucky to get it and and uh, i don't look back at my time in f1 with, with with any bitterness that i didn't get to um to stay there longer incredibly proud that i did manage to get there as a as a young new zealander from palmerston north you know knowing, knowing my roots yeah. that the fact that I, I was there for a short time i'm incredibly proud of that and there's no bitterness that you know that it didn't last longer than it did
0: Uh, Hey, once again, lovely talking to you. That concludes part two of our three-part series. Um, The next part, the third part, where we will get into the World Endurance Championship. Why is this format a format that Brendan seems to have so much success at? Make sure you join us for part three.